Hi, uh, Mr. Stalin, sir. I have a question for you. I was wondering, under your new regime, what are you going to be doing about civilian rights? Well, under the communist regime of New Russia, we are be going to giving everyone individual rights under the limits of communism. I, you know, I'm just having trouble understanding how you're going to be giving your citizens individual rights under communism. Well, they get the right to rat on their neighbors, the right to gulag, the right to breadline, the right to be silent, all of the individual rights promised by communism. Oh, okay. And and when is this being enacted? Right now. <laughs> you are going to gulag next, black woman. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> For asking too many questions. Asking too many questions. The KGB will come to your door and knock on, knock on it. <laughs> I don't know why that caught me off guard there for a second. Um, anyways, guys, hi, welcome to our show. Uh, it is 2.30 on this fine, what is it, Wednesday? Is it Wednesday? Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. Are you going to do the accent the whole, it's a very convincing Stalin because of the mustache. That's what everybody, well, Excuse me. That's what everybody keeps saying. <laughs> they keep saying I look like dictator. Oh, that's I am interesting. fun guy. I like games and shows and all sorts of Russian fun. Gulag fun. Wow. Are you really going to do this the whole show? No. <laughs> no. Well, the reason we had this opening is because you might have seen a recent, uh, I guess we call it press conference with the Taliban. I never thought I'd be saying that, uh, but press conference with the Taliban where we had a reporter ask them about women's rights underneath, uh, you know, the Taliban regime that has now taken place in Afghanistan. And here was the answer. Hello, my name is Shawn Mathis. I'm with Alcazar English. I want to talk to you about women's rights and girls' rights. I'm concerned about whether women will be allowed to work, that girls can still go to school. What assurances can you give to women and girls that their rights will be protected? Uh, women will be afforded all their rights, uh, whether it is in work or other activities, because women are a key part of society. And uh, we are guaranteeing all their rights within the limits of Islam. Oh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Women are going to have rights. So long as it goes along with Sharia law. Don't worry. We got you. We'll take care of you. <laughs> all right, time to stop. He still, I was like, he still hasn't even said a word in normal English. <laughs> I know. Uh, scientists concur that all humans can now fly under the limitations of gravity. Did you just come up with that? <laughs> I did. Good job. Thank you. We spent like 20 minutes yeah, trying to exactly. brainstorm your tweet, and, and then and you then just it, pull that out of it nowhere. It just popped into my head. Wow. Well, well, there you go. You know, that's the sort of logic here. So they're not going to just be straight up and say, no, we're going to revert back to, to the way we were uh, before we were, you know, sort of being monitored by the U.S. We are going to make sure that women have rights under, under Sharia law. Well, it's strange. Because you would think that these people in Afghanistan, the Taliban, would be proud of the things that they believe in, that they're proud to push forward this, especially if it's something like Sharia law, which in a lot of ways is honoring Allah and their religion. You know, so it's like that you think that they would be proud of honoring their God in this way and applying these fundamentalist principles to their country. But so it's strange that they would say we're not going to actually follow up because they're more worried about what the world stage is going to think of them than what Allah is going to think. 
But I here's what I think that the, the motive is behind it. They think Sharia law is women's rights. They think that abiding by uh, fundamentalist Islam uh, is is supporting women and is putting them closer to their God, which would be their way of expressing women's rights, right. even though that's, in that's our culture it's subjugating. It was, well, it was like I think there was a Pew Research study poll that found like 70 percent of the people in Afghanistan agree with Sharia law, you know, and right. like 93 percent of the people in Afghanistan align with the Taliban, which is absolutely insane that these numbers are so high. It is. It's kind of it's kind of scary that people believe that that is uh, the way that they should be living. And that's the way that women should be treated. That's the way that young people should be treated. Uh, and as much as we talk about patriarchy in the United States, especially with the feminist movement, the third wave feminist movement, uh, this is patriarchy. That's what patriarchy looks like. It's not being able to leave your house without having your your body completely covered. It's not being able to walk around or or go anywhere without male supervision. It's not being allowed to marry through choice. It this is what patriarchy looks like. Yet we complain and complain about the the, the current state we are in here in the United States. Yeah, of course, but so many of the people there in Afghanistan and across the Islamic world believe in this too. Right. Which is, I think, the wild part, unless their husbands are just pressuring them into voting a certain way on these certain polls. But these polls have been done a lot of times, and it finds that the majority of people agree with these types of deals. They agree with the Sharia law. They agree with people like the Taliban living in these Middle Eastern countries. Not everywhere. Definitely not everywhere. But in a lot of places, a majority of the people agree. And so it shows like... So we watched this video the other day about mass psychosis. I mean, it's somewhat a similar type of thing where people are being oppressed and then they think that the oppression is actually good for them. But we know that their their social culture changed uh, while the U.S. was in Afghanistan for this 20 plus years. They had posters of women who were not wearing hijabs and who were wearing makeup and, and nail polish, which under Sharia law is completely uh, non-negotiable. That is illegal. You cannot do that. And there were posters in Afghanistan of a women doing exactly that, of women modeling. There is a female mayor in Afghanistan. I can nearly guarantee she will not be around for long under this new regime. But we know that through our presence there their social constructs and their culture shifted towards actually giving women rights and i think it's when you're when you're born in a culture to where you're never exposed to that and suddenly you are exposed to that it is a liberating thing but now we're reverting back to that they're actually taking down the pictures of women with makeup and without their hijab on and as i said i don't think that female is going to be a mayor for much longer either yeah iran had it the same way iran in the 1970s was much more open to those kind of things women without the burqas and hijabs and all of that kind of stuff and then it totally shifted and it's like Looking at culture and looking at different societies throughout history, you either have a culture that goes very far right and more to a fundamentalist far right aspect, as we're now seeing in Afghanistan, as we saw in Iran, as we've seen in many other places, or you have a culture and a society that goes incredibly far left. When corruption happens in your government, when the place that you're living starts to get too safe and too decadent, then you either have a culture go incredibly far right or a culture go incredibly far left. Right here in America, in the West mostly, all of the cultures are going incredibly far left. They're mm -hmm. going the other way. But in other cultures, like in Afghanistan, they're going to the right. And it's just a seems to be some sort of natural occurrence of cultures that are fed up with the current state of where they're in, and then this happens. Yeah, and here's a, a, a very interesting video that I found on Twitter today of women actually protesting the Taliban regime. Here's this video.
And obviously we can't, I don't have interpretation for exactly what is being said here, but it is them uh, advocating for their rights under this new regime. And uh, that's what true bravery looks like. That is what true feminism looks like. I can't imagine the amount of, of fear that a woman would feel uh, having this happen around her with what, in a matter of days, uh, being under a, a new government that has no interest in giving you rights or, or freedoms or autonomy at any in any sense and having to stand there and hold up a sign in front of them. That is what true feminism looks like. Yeah, and Americans take it all for granted. Americans say, oh, all these horrible things, the patriarchy here is killing us. I can't even, you know, I don't know, what is something stupid women complain about? Usually when your gender paid. studies professor doesn't give you a, uh, an A on your report. Yeah. When they <laughs> They're say, oppressing you. When they say that because the word chimichanga has the word him in it, <laughs> it's somehow oppressing them and ruining yeah. their self-worth as a woman. You get kind of a culture shock when you see women in some place like this actually coming and expressing what they're feeling and dealing with. Yeah, as horrible as everything that is happening in Afghanistan is, uh, my one hope is hopefully that people seeing this in America who have fallen for this lie of, of leftism and this false narrative of oppression uh, in the United States, hopefully wake up. Hopefully they can see this and go, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe life is not as bad as they think it is. Maybe they will express a little bit of gratitude for having the, the privilege and the, the honor of waking up in the United States. I don't think I that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think so either. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that sad, though? Like, as bad as things are right now, and as bad as things are globally, as bad as things are domestically, uh, people, I don't, I still don't think it's gotten bad enough I, for people to wake up and just appreciate the fact that we have freedom and not take it for granted. I, I genuinely think that we need to suffer more, and it's really sad. But I don't, I just, I don't have a lot of confidence that things are going to turn around until enough people wake up. That's what we're trying to do every day here on the podcast is, is call attention to like, hey, cherish freedom. Look look at what life is like without it. But I don't know. And it's like this, it. this, the uh, left ha or the radical leftist ideology that has permeated all of our institutions has gotten so far ingrained into our culture now. And it's in Hollywood. It's in academia. It's everywhere. It's been, it's been there for years and years. And, it, and we're so far removed from anything, um, any major suffering as a culture, I think, that you know, I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you are, do you, are you more no, hopeful than me? Because even people look at Australia, all the stuff happening there right now, and New Zealand. New Zealand just put into a lockdown with one COVID case on the entire mm -hmm. island of New Zealand. One COVID case, and they lock down the entire country. What kind of baloney is that? And so even Americans can see something like that, complete tyranny, complete shutting down of businesses, ruining people's livelihoods, potentially killing people with mental illness and uh, anxiety and all those sorts of things and suicide rates and suicide. But still, Americans are like, oh, that's great. <laughs> I mean, right. CNN, I was on the CNN post today and I left a comment on there. If you guys uh, follow CNN or I don't know, whatever, on Instagram, <laughs> I hope you don't follow CNN. Okay, don't <laughs> give them any of their followers just for will's anyway. comments on the you know trolling yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but they posted about the the lockdowns in new zealand and i go through i'm going through all the comments and it's like why isn't america doing this why haven't we done this sooner like this is so good of new zealand people don't appreciate the things that they have until they're gone it's like that uh that song don't know what you got till it's gone <laughs> i don't know that Pay song. paradise <laughs> put up a parking lot I've never heard that song. Oh, keep singing, though. Keep singing. You haven't heard that song? Yeah. It's a. Maybe you sing the full thing. I'll know the song. It's uh, Counting Crows. Ah, uh, no. Not, not my thing. Sorry, That's my well. favorite band, too. 
<laughs> I'm sure people in the comments will know the song. But sure. you you have to think about the driving factors between our ideology and their ideology. And ours is that we are we are so scared of death. We are so scared of suffering. We are so scared of, of being offended. We are so scared of feeling sad. We are so scared of simply the idea of oppression. Inconvenience. Um, oh, of, of inconvenience. inconvenience. Yet the women in, in Afghanistan and in the citizens of North Korea and people living in China are just so accustomed to death and suffering and sadness that it almost feels as though they don't even know that it's happening around them anymore. And I bring up Yanmi Park all the time. She talks about how true oppression is not even knowing that you're oppressed, being uh, completely subverted by your government and the people around you and being forced to believe that this is what true freedom feels like. This is what living feels like. This is what life is truly like and not knowing anything outside of that. And in the United States, we have the luxury of, of knowing what true freedom feels like. We have the luxury of knowing that we're oppressed and being able to stand on public forums and tell everybody about how sad we are and about how much we suffer and about how scared we are of death and how we'll be willing to limit people's freedoms to, to escape death. And, and that's the, the differences between our societies and theirs. Did you ever see that movie, The Village? Yes. M. Night Shyamalan movie where all those people are trapped. Don't in that... spoil it. I haven't seen it. I'm going to spoil it. Oh! Can I spoil it? It's I'm like going to close my ears. Like you make your point. Old. You make your point because I want to see it. Okay. But they're in this village and then it turns out that the whole thing is a lie essentially. And they're not really, you know, in that time period. And it's like they have this sense of freedom, but they're living inside of a vacuum. And that's like how people in these other places feel when they're oppressed. And then they don't have to actually know what the rest of the world is like. So they think that they have this freedom, but reality, they're living inside this vacuum. It's like North Korea. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like yeah. the village. Is like North Korea. Mm. Okay. Oof. I missed all that. And then I heard the village is like North Korea. So I'm good. How? <laughs> I, I hope you made your point. The movie is 15 years old. <laughs> I just haven't seen it yet. It's not even that good I of a movie. Well, great. At least it's not spoiled for me. Okay. <laughs> the village kid sees dead people. Spoiler. <laughs> it's she, an extra sense. Even... I do get that one. I've I seen that even... movie. Okay. I've seen that movie. Okay. Right. I'm sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, it's, it's sad to see everything coming out of Afghanistan. I think the whole situation could have been handled uh, a lot better, and a lot of people are going to feel the heat of, uh, you know, those consequences. Well, I, think, I, think, I think regular people are going to feel the heat, but I think people with any sort of governance over this are not going to be feeling anything. And nothing is going to be done to reprimand people who made bad choices during all of this, because they never do. Now, accountability has all but disappeared from um, America in Agreed. recent years, you know, we, what happened with the, you know, with um, our companies collaborating with China and the Uyghurs, and then what happened with uh, Hong Kong? It's in the news for like a couple of days, and then everyone just kind of forgets about it. And it's like, yeah, but their loss of freedom is permanent, and their oppression or ge the genocide that's being committed, their lives are permanently over, and we're just over here comfortable, like, you know, we get outraged for a day or two and mm -hmm. send a couple of tweets about it, and it's like, that's not okay. I know. I know everything that happened, I can't, I have to sound out the words, okay? So guys, look in my face so you, I can say it, okay? I'm sounding it out. Mm -hmm. Rohan? Yes. <laughs> the Rohan Rab Reek, okay? Yeah, yes. <laughs> and yes. no one, I can't say it because if I do, this is going to get censored, okay? Yes, you're right. But you right. guys understand what I'm saying. The Rohan Rab Reek, yep. all right? And no one is having to take accountability for that whatsoever. At all. You blame it on some pangolin and bat and then all that stuff. It's yeah. one of the Watch stupidest things. I know I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm trying to. But it's like 
you know, no one has to take accountability for any of these things happening. And it's sickening that the people in charge continue to get away with it. Even when alternative media, people like us and other sorts of groups of Breitbart call these things out, nothing is done about it because the conglomerates just have too much power. The bureaucracy has too much power. The mainstream big tech media has too much power. It's like, man, they just get away with it. They and people are to too demoralized, too. Like yeah. people are too demoralized to create enough of a demand to put pressure on any anyone in any any of these institutions or anyone in positions of power. It fizzles out after a few days, and the mainstream media has a big role in that by not by pushing other narratives and distracting people from when things that are really going on. They got too much soma. Yeah, exactly. Literally, you have too much soma, and then you're like demoralized or not even and, realizing. And something. our heads are in the sand because the, all the things we're arguing about is like you know putting gendered theory and and stuff and like critical race theory you know like our heads are in the sand like are you like and they're laughing at us on the world stage while you know china's taking over and tyranny's happening all over and people are being genocided and they're like but meanwhile america is making sure pregnant people can pregnant people not pregnant women mm -hmm. can fly you know and, and fighter pilots and all this type of stuff it's like bro I know. And it's it's hard because as a person who is trying to find truth and trying to share that truth with other people, it is so difficult. You feel like you need like 17 heads to deal with all the different issues that are happening. And then we have the micro micro issues of of cancel culture and, and CRT and, and race relations and gender theory. And then you have the macro stuff like China, like Afghanistan, like North Korea. And it's where, where do you focus your energy when, when really all of it's important in the grand scheme of things, um, some smaller than others. But well, they're it's just so yeah, difficult. It's definitely more, like there's that general talking today and that general speaking today. Someone, a reporter asked him, said, how many uh, U.S. citizens do we still have in Afghanistan? And mm -hmm. he couldn't answer it. But I guarantee you he could probably tell you how many trans people are in the military right now. Right. You right. know, it's like these are the the priorities of the leaders right now. So true. We got the things super... that really matter are not being looked at whatsoever and that's the downfall and china afghanistan north korea these countries exactly they're going far more right mm -hmm. they go to a more right fundamentalist look at the world while the west continues to go more left it's crazy to think about yeah it's crazy no, it's to think about yeah just put your put your oppression as an american citizen into into the true scope of things and then and tell me how you feel about that in the morning uh we got a super chat from dragon of war although we can't answer the question itself because it is a violation of our nonprofit status to talk about uh politicians and the things that they say um but needless to say we can we can all agree that what happened in afghanistan was poorly was poorly done Amen. Now you just piqued everyone's curiosity. Go I know. <laughs> it's asking how a certain politician took care of a certain address in regard to uh, what has happened recently in that country. If you guys don't know what 501c3 means, that means that PragerU is a nonprofit, which means that we can't support people in office, people out of office, political candidates, um, bills, legislation, anything like that. So we're right. obviously conservative. It doesn't mean we can't be conservative. I mean, pray. Well, it means that we focus on ideas instead of politicians and policies very right. part, and partisan stuff. Right. The right. three P's. We don't touch them. Yeah. We don't need to. No. But anyways. Okay. Well, speaking of a micro issue, uh, let's get into cancel culture. Bill Maher did a segment on his show uh, a couple days ago talking about a recent, uh, I guess, faux pas with Matt Damon. He came out and said that he used to say the F word in relation to gay people, a homophobic slur. You guys can be creative uh, and, and think of that on your own. Um, and Bill Maher came to bat to defend Matt Damon. Let's get into this clip. 2016, the movie The Great Wall opened and Damon was brought up on charges of whitewashing in the third degree. 
Whitewashing being when filmmakers cast white actors for parts meant for people of color, which is exactly what he was not doing. His role was never meant for a Chinese actor. In fact, it was a Chinese-made movie targeted primarily to the Chinese audience that was purposefully using his white <laughs> so the movie would have crossover appeal here. Nevertheless, when I heard about this, I immediately replaced Matt's poster over my bed with Chris Evans. <laughs> Twenty seventeen, in the early days of the Me Too movement, Damon was locked up in Wokatras <laughs> on a charge of aggravated mansplaining during a reckoning. <clears throat> and was sentenced to not less than one year of having to shut the up. <laughs> See what happened was during an interview where Damon called the Me Too movement wonderful and a watershed moment, he added that sexual misconduct involved a spectrum of behavior and that there was a difference between patting someone on the butt and rape. Mm, true. Undeniable. And unforgivable! <laughs> even though the legal system has always differentiated degrees for crimes, even murder. Oh, Matt, always getting in trouble for saying perfectly reasonable things. Isn't it nice to hear somebody on TV who is watched by millions just say something so straightforward and truthful for once? Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, he's right on about 60 to 70% of things nowadays. Yeah. Versus what the amount of t that he used to be right on. I mean, he was much different before. Right. Now he's totally out of shift. He must have been watching our show or something. Because <laughs> he's been doing a lot better, Bill Maher. It just it's goes exciting. to show that the crazier that the world gets around you, slowly but surely, people do sort of alter the way that they see things. And the left can get so ridiculous that you have no other choice but to wake up and call them out on what they're doing. Mm -hmm. No, it's great. I'm really happy for it. Well, let's keep going. And now... <clears throat> and now he's done it again by breaking Liam's law. Yes, that's the law that refers to the time a few years back when actor Liam Neeson recounted a story of personal growth involving racist thoughts he had as a young man, but then realizing the error of his ways, expunging the racist element from his anger. But of course, in so doing, he committed the cardinal sin of admitting he was not born perfect and did not emerge from the womb completely enlightened like Buddha. <laughs> and now Matt's done, done it with his gay slur admission, committed the crime of not always being the person you would become. You know, I'm so tired of bad faith arguments, and it's all we do now on both sides of our divide. Two weeks ago, Nancy Pelosi called Republican House Leader Kevin McCarthy a moron. Oh, that's not the bad faith part of the story. That's the true part. <laughs> but, <laughs> but a few days later, McCarthy was speaking to a group of Republicans and said, jokingly, <laughs> but he is Kevin McCarthy, <laughs> He said that if Republicans took the House in 2022, quote, I want you to watch Nancy Pelosi hand me that gavel. It will be hard not to hit her with it. <laughs> Pelosi's office called it a threat of violence. <clears throat> Hakeem Jeffries said violence against women is no laughing matter. And Eric Swalwell said McCarthy was a would-be assailant who must resign. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. 
This is what bad faith is. You don't really think it was a threat of violence or that anyone thinks such violence would be a laughing matter or that Kevin McCarthy is a would-be assailant any more than anyone thinks Matt Damon's a homophobe. And Matt, my advice to you, stop hunting for goodwill. You're not going to find much in this country. Woo! Heat. Fire. Flames. Hot fire, man. <laughs> Bring it to hot fire. It's just so refreshing to see somebody be truthful about that. And even in regard to the politicians that he was talking about and said, you know, BS, you don't actually believe what you're saying. You are using these little talking points and you are accusing somebody of something that you know they're never going to do just so that you can gain support and garner support from the people who watch you. I know. It's like when we have to make arguments on here and we're talking about something mm -hmm. and I can't think of a specific example, but we'll have to qualify something and be like, oh, we don't think all oh, this is bad, but here's my point. And it's like right. we have to qualify these types of things because the amount of bad faith arguments that people make about stuff is off the rails. And people will make it so that you're really saying, like, it's the thing that happened with Candace Owens. Like this was maybe two years ago. You guys remember this? And her quote-unquote Hitler comments about that and doing it right. And it was like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, you really, really, in your heart of hearts, or when you look at what she's saying, you think that Candace Owens was trying to support Hitler there in that comment? Like, come on, man. Like, it makes no sense, but you're making a bad faith argument to try and make her look bad. You know it's not true. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous posturing by them. And that seems to be the name of the game when it comes to politics. Who can make the other side look the worst, although the left tends to be more of a perpetrator of this than the right. But that's just how we fight these days. It's not on logical arguments. It's not on the basis of reason. It's not about using evidence to back up a claim or explain why, why intellectually you think this policy would work better than this one or why you think our society should move in this direction. It's about how can I make this other person look evil rather than telling them what the truth actually is. Well, we were talking about the Jonathan Haidt thing the other day, and there's a difference between the left and the right. And the left are the ones who think that conservatives are evil. Um, I've met lots of people, happens all the time, who don't like me and think that I'm an evil person just for the views that I have. Mm -hmm. And conservatives think that leftists are misinformed and can just be changed. That's kind of the difference between us. That's why more of these bad faith arguments and things like that happen from people on the left, because unless you're a conservative acting like a leftist, but they happen from people on the left because they're the ones who think they were evil and they think that we, you know, are actually out there to try and hurt everything and destroy everything. Right. Whereas we're trying to bring people back to their, you know, their morality. Right. It's like we saw in the, when Ben Shapiro was on Bill Maher last week and we reacted to that, that like Ben was trying to drive home, like, why are you defending critical race theory? Explain it to me because here's what critical race theory is. Here's mm -hmm. the effect that it's having and it's racializing everything and making everything worse. And, uh, the guy kept instead rather than addressing Ben's specific argument, he kept reframing the conversation based on, well, you don't want to teach real history in schools. And it's right, like and your show sucks. And yeah. Yeah. All this type of stuff. And they don't want to face the actual argument and and they play the games. And just if you if the, if the truth is on your side, then you don't have to resort to engaging in discourse with uh, dishonesty or disingenuously like uh, Bill Maher is describing here. So have enough discipline to flesh out your arguments and not play those games because you don't have to. 
Yeah. And we see conservatives do this too. I don't want yeah. to just say that this is a problem of the left. Right. We see conservatives it, it's all a on tempting the internet. thing because yeah. social media, especially these days, has become like it's like a dunk contest. And like, how much can I dunk on the other side? So true. Oh, they, they, they expose themselves here in a way that I can reframe what they said in some way that I can just get an easy dunk on them and get a lot of retweets. And like, that's not productive. And it, you're not changing anyone's mind with it. And you might feel good for a second, but nothing really good comes out of it. And there's much better ways like it, but it, it takes more intellectual labor. It takes more uh, maturity and uh, depth and discipline to actually formulate arguments and articulate yourself. But that is actually what gives you a chance at persuading someone and uh, just playing the game. It doesn't achieve anything. I go on conservative Twitter and it's just so many of the tweets on conservative Twitter are just people responding to the same tweet quote tweeting the exact same tweet saying something that is maybe a little bit different maybe a couple words are switched out and it's just like dunk on it right you know it's like who what? has the best comeback like just because you are a conservative or quote-unquote free thinker does not mean that being a part of the dunking herd as i'm going to now yeah. label it the is dunking a, herd. the dunking herd <laughs> is essentially what it is is a admirable thing you know just because you have these conservative thoughts, but then you're engaging with the, this social media conservative dunking herd that right. doesn't make your argument any better, you know? And I've done it too. Yeah. Almost I mean, done, we've all done it. I was going to say, we struggle say. with that on this show. Like the, the, it's like the gravity of public of contentious public discourse has pulls you toward wanting to just, you know, lay that haymaker yeah. on your, Ooh, yeah. on, you know, intellectual opponent. Right. But when we feel that that way, sometimes, well, sometimes we're on the show and we're, and we're, we're coming up with the stories for the day and we're like, we don't have anything original to say about this that's not already being said, beaten to death on Twitter like over and over again. So if we can't offer something of substance on this topic that's different from, that's actual insight or an actual argument, then we'd rather just not touch it. And like, mm -hmm. okay, maybe we miss out on some engagement on that, but like, that's not what this show's about and that's not what PragerU's about. Right, other people will talk about it. Yeah. There's like no doubt that people, other conservative personalities right. will talk about you're it. not like, missing anything yeah exactly like they're all covering the same thing from the same angle dunking on the left okay i get that and we're like we want to we want to do something better not that our show's perfect not trying to say that but you know we are trying to do something different on this show that i i think that you know it's admirable yeah so i mean at the end of the day we sort of ask ourselves is what we said truthful uh do you think it would be effective in changing someone's mind and, and did i do something that was good <laughs> because to do what, what Will and Taylor are talking about and just go on Twitter and dunk on people and insult people and talk about the way that they look and, and just not use uh, any any reason-based argument is not, it, it may be truthful, but you're not doing anything good and you're not doing anything that's going to end up being persuasive in the end of things. Wow. It's like that Vosh video. I don't want to get too into this or yeah. whatever, but this guy Vosh, um, he did a video on me and Jill Simonian from PragerU Kids on a recent video that we did together. And instead of like arguing many of my points, he called me a pedophile for having a mustache. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's like, that is a bad faith argument. That is an argument where he is trying to come on, dunk on me. And instead of, you know, really talking about the ideas, just comes on and calls me a pedophile, you know? Right. It was do just it, endless arguments want? about it. It wasn't not even arguments. It was just endless insults about appearance and the way that things looked. And instead of making substantive, uh, reason based arguments at all. Right. This guy doesn't like critical race theory, but he's got a can of Goya beans behind him. What a moron. Right. That's it. That's <laughs> honestly right? the entire video. <laughs> that is the entire video. And we've seen this a lot in relation to the virus. 
going to say. A virus. I'm not going to name it. Vi- coronavirus. <laughs> well, we'll just did it. Never mind. <laughs> but it's these these bad faith arguments where if you hold a conservative stance on anything in relation to it, you are a killer. You lack empathy. You want people to die and you don't care if other people live or if they get sick and you don't care about anybody's well-being when certainly that is not the case. And it's this effort to dunk on people and characterize, characterize them as, as something that they're not and, and fulfill this caricature of what conservatives are meant to be, these evil, mean people who don't care about anybody. And on the, the other side, we're just trying to say, look, this isn't logical. And we have a perfect example of that. This is a video out of Australia. Let's get into it. There will be no removal of masks to consume alcohol outdoors. So you will no longer be able to remove your mask to drink a cocktail uh, at a pop-up beer garden on a footpath uh, as part of a pub crawl. There will be... Mate, <laughs> there will be no beer drinking on the pub crawl, mate. All right? No beer drinking at a pop-up beer garden on a footpath as part of something. <laughs> like, pub crawl? As part of a pub crawl. Pub There's crawl? just so many little caveats. It sounds less tyrannical when you say it with a cool accent. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, bring it. Yeah. I mean, I, I when you say I'll things ne- like beer garden. going to take all those rights away. All right. We're going <laughs> to take them all away, throw you in jail. All right. It's like, okay. All right, mate, take them. Take my rights. Don't even want them, mate. You, you, you can have them. It just, I don't know. Never it was like so oddly anyway. specific. Yeah. You're going to be stuck in jail like a Joey in a roost patch, all right? If you have one leg and you're rolling down a hill at a 30 degree angle, <laughs> you can't take your mask off, man. All right? Anything else is fine. Kids in the schoolyard next to the swing set by the yellow swing must wear masks or you're going to be arrested. Or you're going straight to jail, man. <laughs> Yeah, it was oddly specific. Yeah, no, but uh, obviously so so lacking of logic that it's just beyond me. You can no longer drink without wearing a mask. I know. I think he tried to make it more specific there at the end because of how ludicrous the beginning was. We tried to soften it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's right. like he's trying to play it off a little bit and, you know, to rationalize it. But it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. You can't wear... You You have to wear a mask while you drink outdoors? How do you, <laughs> you do that? You wear a mask while you drink. How do you do that, man? That's impossible. And now they're doing these nationwide regulations and lockdowns because of one. Well, that's New Zealand. Oh, that's well, I like attach them. I like attach Australia. Oh, don't New say Zealand. that, my Sorry, We're guys. Sorry We're if you Australians are watching. But New Zealand is doing a nationwide lockdown because of one case. I know. I want to go see the Lord of the Rings set. I want to go see it's all like, of that. How like, is that going to work if the if it's endemic to the rest of the world and, and it's an unextinguishable thing for the rest of the world, and yet? Are you just going to never let anyone from anywhere else in your country? Well, if they only had one case, why don't they just lock down that one person? <laughs> because if like, no, the whole sounds, country has to quarantine and the, the one the person whole can country, no, you never know. I just came up with a solution. Take the one person, <laughs> ship them somewhere else. To the gulag? No, not to the gulag. <laughs> why don't we take no, quarantine them for two weeks? I mean, yeah, they, they should quarantine them themselves. Person, they should be, that's... That's originally what everything should have been in the first place. The six stay home in quarantine and everyone else. Exactly. It's one guy. How many times have we talked about this? Like, not just we on this podcast, but I mean, like, society rehashed this. It's just, it's so crazy to me that we're still having these stupid conversations. I'm so tired of it. I know. Well, it is like, can't get too tired of it. I know. It's going to keep happening. And it's your job. (laughs) I I know. Well, it's like reality's at stake. So you have to, you know, keep fighting, but it's like, bro. 
it's just this never ending saga of just like this happens so we need to do this and this happens so we need to do this and if you don't comply you're evil and and you want to kill people listen eat good food exercise <sighs> get some sunshine like you're gonna be fine you're okay you're gonna be fine you're gonna be fine mate just drink some water get some sunshine it's gonna be fine stay in your home stay in your home go pet a wombat yeah it'll be fine you have the right to lock down i was seriously if people like change a lot of the things about what they do and build up their immune systems actually you're going to be a lot better off yeah no but i want the government to handle everything for me and i don't want to do anything for myself (laughs) no that's true that's true i think we just need to socialize everything that's my that's my social media yeah (laughs) just like social media that was one of my first videos i did it was a chick on Hollywood Boulevard and I'm interviewing people, asking them about socialism. And I said, what do you think of socialism? And she said, oh, it's like, it can be used for good, I guess, you know, like Facebook's okay. Mm-hmm. Socialism. Gosh. I personally yeah. really enjoy socializing. So yeah, that's, that's what she thought <laughs> it was. Time. That's what she thought it was. Well, if that's what you think socialism is, maybe you should do some reading. <laughs> we're going to get into our newest episode of the book club and that is Atlas Shrug. Uh, and we're going to get into Michael Knowles with his guest, Eric Daniels. And essentially, this book is warning of the dangers of socialism. So I'll play you a little clip and you can check it out at PragerU.com. All the way through Atlas. Yeah. I mean, it's a hefty book. It is. I had never made it all the way through until until this book club where I said, I'm doing it. Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I would like an award for yeah. it. I feel like I've through yeah. my work, I have my perseverance. Yeah, yeah. I deserve it. This is really what this whole book is yeah, about. It is. For those who did not make it through. Yeah. Can you sum up 1200 pages in about, <laughs> I don't know, a minute or two? A minute or two? Well, let's give it a shot. Uh, I would say the, the premise of the story is the world is falling apart. It's set in a not too distant or perhaps past future. We're not really sure. It's not. It's not. It's sort of timeless in that sense. Uh, it's set in the United States. Uh, it features as the main characters uh, Dagny Taggart, who is the operating vice president of a national railroad, Hank Reardon, an industrialist, and they are struggling to keep the economy going. They're struggling to be productive while the government is passing more and more laws restricting business controlling the economy, and ultimately breaking down the entire economy. Meanwhile, in the background, more and more people are disappearing. It's a mystery novel, in a sense. It's a mystery novel about why the world is coming to a standstill. What is wrecking the economy? And the ultimate resolution of that, sorry for those listeners and viewers who haven't haven't yet seen the end of the book, but there is a character that they're after, this mystery, uh, who is the destroyer, but also the savior, right? His His name is. And his name is, as the first line of the book asks, who is John Galt? John Galt is the the driver of the narrative. He is gone for two-thirds of the novel. He shows up in the last third of the novel as this mystery resolves itself. And the ultimate answer is he has been taking people out of the economy, the key players, and going on strike. And it's a unique kind of strike. That's what Ayn Rand had as her vision of the novel, was that it was a different sort of strike from any other strike that anyone had heard of. Because it was a strike of what she called the men of the mind. People who were truly essential to the economy. Now, you remember, she's writing this in the 1940s and 50s. Labor unrest, uh, the AFL-CIO was a dominant part of the economy. And throughout the years, she said, people, groups have gone on strike and said, we're essential. You can't do it without us. You know, you can't make automobiles without us. You can't run newspapers without us. And she said, who actually is essential to this? Who is the driver of the motor of the world? And her answer was the men of the mind. Ooh, 
Got to pause it right there. I always try to find the perfect place to pause these little uh, clips that we show you guys. That was good. Cliffhangers, if you will. <laughs> find out next week. <laughs> so if you want to watch the rest of that uh, and, and find out more about Atlas Shrugged, go to PragerU.com, click watch, go to the book club, and watch our most recent episode with Michael Knowles and Eric Daniels. Learn yeah. you something. Atlas Shrugged is great. And one of the great things that Ayn Rand talks about is how the individual is the smallest minority. There's some things I disagree with Ayn Rand on, you know, mostly about the, she's an atheist, but on a lot of the stuff I definitely do agree on. And, and the individual being the smallest minority is a great thing to talk to people about when they try and break themselves down by their intersectional benefits and mm -hmm. say, you know, I'm black, I'm lesbian, mm -hmm. I'm trans, disabled, midget, whatever they are. And it's like, but at an individual level, what are you? And that's something that is good to talk to people about to actually change their minds on a lot of issues. Ayn Rand had a lot of things that if you read the, her books and, and all of that, you can find out a lot about actually talking to people about those things. So I definitely recommend it too. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. The left being so focused on intersectional identities and who you are as an, individ an individual yet so collective at the same point yeah. to the point where their sort of policy would erase everything that it even means to be an individual. Yeah, the actual individual is not represented in a socialist or far right. left-wing right. ideology because it becomes a collective of minorities. Yet right? they're so obsessed with who, what it means to be an individual through their scope of intersectionality. Yeah, but it's not really an individual. Right, because right. Because it's a, like, black, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or gay. Black. It's yeah. Categories. It's like, categories. Trans, yeah, yeah, it's categories it is. of minorities, but not Group looking character. at what, like, Amala is black, I think. Half. And half, half black. 50%. And then, you know, someone, I don't know, who's another black? Michael Jordan, okay? <laughs> He's black. Okay. And, but Amala and Michael Jordan are completely different people. Yeah. You know? So it's like you can break them down and keep breaking them down. Eventually you get to, you know, they're black or they're human, whatever. But you break them down even farther at, in their separate groups. And it's like then you eventually get to the minority as the individual. Right. It's like just because you are black, just because Taylor and I are both white, uh, straight, right? Straight <laughs> men. Um then, you know, you can't break us down the same way either. It's so true. And Will and I did a recent reaction to a Jubilee video where they brought together a bunch of white people to discuss race and uh, to see where they lie and see if they all thought the same about it. And a commonly held view on the left is that because black people are black and we share that trait uh, among us, that we share this sort of cultural bond between us of being uh, oppressed when that is certainly not the case. So the lens at which the left looks looks at the individual is completely off base. It's completely wrong. Yeah. What do you think about the idea? They always use this argument of, well, black Americans have a, share, a shared experience that <laughs> creates a separate category for them. We don't. <laughs> we don't. It's just simply not true. And I can, I can, uh, put you in touch with a bunch of black people. It doesn't even matter whether or not they are foundational black Americans and they're descendant of slaves, or if they're like me and they're descendant of uh, somebody from Nigeria and I have Nigerian ancestry. We do not, we are not bonded by oppression. And that that is not a, a cultural bond that we share among black people. And I'm sure the same can be said for white people. You are not bonded by your cultures. It's, more, mean. it's more economic bonding right. than it is racial or... LGBT, whatever it is, yeah. it's like in Compton, there's like 30% black people, 70% Hispanic people. And those right. people have similar shared experiences, even though they're different races, right? Yeah. Because so, socioeconomic status creates those shared experiences. Right. So you have shared experiences along economic lines because I, you know, back in high school, I went to, I went to a fairly 
ghetto high school, but there were a lot of nicer high schools around. And, you know, there were black kids at this high school that was kind of underprivileged that I went to. And then there was a lot of black kids at the high schools that were very above privilege, the private schools that were really nice, you know, who had way more money than, than I did and all that. And it's like, you know, they come from totally different places. Just like the white kids, the same. Like it, the the economic status is much more important than your race, right? And you'll find that what you value in life is going to lead you to a certain group of people too, because your values dictate what you do in your life, the activities that you uh, uh, place yourself in, and that's going to put you around people who have those shared values. So there's far more important things than the way you look and how you identify. Right. Yeah. And if the most important thing to you about your identity is your group categories, then uh, you're not. It robs you of agency. It robs you of the hope that if I make different choices, if I have values, I can break out of the category that I'm in or the, the stereotypes around the category that I'm in. You know what I mean? It's like right, it's, absolutely. it boxes you into a way of thinking that is, oh, I'm oppressed. I'm helpless. I have no reason to try to uh, achieve on my own because of all this stuff. And in reality, if you believe in the individual, like as is on Ren's point, you know, I'm I'm an army of one against the world and I have to, you know, I'm nothing's promised me. Um, it's that the deck stacked against me, but I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to go for it. You know, that mentality comes from having your identity as an individual and not as so a part true. of a collective. Right. Yeah. When they tell everyone that they're a part of this collective, like this collective oppressed, mm -hmm. then you lose yourself of individual identity. You do. So and then when someone comes and tells you, oh, you group of people, you're all oppressed. They don't say, I'm going to critically think about this. They say, oh, I'm a part of this group of oppressed people. And then I'm going to rise up by whoever tells me that I am oppressed and do whatever they want me to do versus you making your own decisions as an individual and saying these are the things that I believe or hold true or whatever and then making decisions based off that because when you have someone else identify the things that are most important about you then you lose all agency in being able to decide what you're going to do with your life you know it's like the same thing with conservatism or mm -hmm. and, and liberalism and all of that and saying you know putting us in this box and saying oh we're all conservative mm -hmm. we're all liberal all this and it's like once you get put in that box of like this political structure, then you are controlled. Then you are controlled in the exact same way. You know, yeah. people who like put party lines above their individual thoughts about issues are part of the problem on mm -hmm. either side of the aisle because they're letting someone else come in and choose how they're supposed to think about things by aligning them with this part of this this group. Yeah. It's true. And there are many places where liberals and conservatives and leftists do meet in the middle on issues. However, you will never see that. You will never see that happen because we have consigned ourselves to the ideas of our party and the talking points of our party. So it's like it's almost like a story can happen right in front of your face and you can see it in the news and you can go, well, I already know how this how this person's going to respond. I know how this person's going to respond. I know how this person's going to respond. And in some in some way, they will find three different lanes of responses and they will never meet in the middle. And that's what makes it tough because PragerU ourselves and, and us, you know, us on this show, it's like PragerU could pull a much more right wing line, right? Right. But we could cater to, you yeah. know, and we could make the content that is going to get the clicks because we are aligning with people who we know align with a GOP mindset that is already built in that we can just say, oh, here we go. Let's go. Let's go dunk on the president or whatever. And it's like we don't really want to do that. We 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 are fine with things that we are doing now yeah we want to you challenge know? people to think for themselves right and that is what you should always do i mean we're, i know we're kind of going on a little on this a little bit but mm -hmm. one other thought that i love from ayn rand is the idea of rational self-interest and the which is that it's like a that is the engine of what makes capitalism work it's what makes it's under it's a fundamental true understanding of 
the way human beings are wired, which mm -hmm. is to act in your own rational self-interest. And whenever you adopt a group mindset, um, you're 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 outsourcing the rational part or the you know acting in your own rational self-interest. You're just outsourcing that to what society, what the government tells you to do, or what society tells you to do. And it's no longer about me acting in my own interest. It's about me f following the herd. And I think that's a huge distinction that can be the downfall of uh, a culture that's built on individualism, like we had in America. Right, and don't Can't forget be an that Ubermensch if you don't if you follow the herd. It's true, and rational self interest does not mean that like oh I'm whatever going to help me succeed, whatever's going to help me survive. It means like the love that you have for your family, the love that you have for right. your community, wanting to build a, a strong surroundings and, and just a strong community in general. Uh, and people can get that twisted and think that we're just saying that you should be completely self interested. Right. And so right. and what socialism and communism get wrong is they fundamentally misunderstand human nature and they mm -hmm. assume that human beings aren't rationally self-interested right. and, and are fundamentally going to be, you know, like uh, uber altruistic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why they don't work because that's not true and it doesn't correspond to reality. Whereas uh, an individualistic worldview that does, you know, acknowledge the reality of rational self-interest, you can build around that if you understand it. You can build a successful system if you understand the incentives of human nature. But if you fundamentally misunderstand them, then you can't build a, a successful system. And that's why socialism's failed everywhere it's been tried. Yeah. We're not innately altruistic <laughs> in any in any sense. Um, but yeah, that is what we tried to do here at PragerU. And funny enough, today is National Nonprofit Day, and it is in the midst of our fundraising month. So if you would like to support the content that we're making here, which you already do by watching, but if you would like to, uh, you know, monetarily support what we're doing here at PragerU, you can go to PragerU.com slash donate. You can give us a one-time donation or a recurring donation if you would like to become a recurring donor. Any amount is... Uh, is amazing and anything that you can do for us really helps us create more and more content for you which we are trying to do on a daily basis yes now we're going to get into a super cool video that just demonstrates uh, a prime example of what it means to have manhood and what it means to be a protector and a man who is uh you know looking to to save others this is a crazy video out of i think some sort of like aquarium or i don't even know what this some mine? rescue? I don't know, mine. See someone. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Let's get right into it, though, so you guys can see it. This family is enjoying a birthday party at a local animal entertainment zoo. Suddenly, go. the alligator attacks. <laughs> the beast bites down on the trainer's hand, so she jumps into the glass enclosure to get better leverage. Then, the gator whips the trainer underwater, getting her in a death roll. One by one, the kids are taken away. That's when a brave dad, Donnie Wiseman, who was there with his family, leaps in to do what he can. Without hesitation, he gets on top of the alligator and holds it down. Then the female trainer is able to break free and is pulled to safety. And all this time, the hero dad remains in the enclosure and continues Insane. his epic battle with the alligator. Then the female trainer returns and tries to help the dad. She tells him to try to sit upright. That's when he finally finds a way to escape. Now he's being dubbed Crocodile Donnie after the famous movie character Crocodile Dundee. Amazing. Donnie. I Donnie, man. Belly some crocs, I. Dude, the amount of bravery that it takes to see that happening and go, I'm going to jump in there and get on top of that alligator is insane. Or crocodile or whatever it is. It was an alligator. I would for sure do it. Oh, There's yeah? no doubt. Oh, yeah, yeah? Just for the vid. I, <laughs> oh, my god. Just for the story. Okay, well. Yeah. I'm like, I, maybe you would. 
If I was getting attacked by an alligator, would Will jump in and try to save me? Of course I would. Are you joking? Why do we even have to ask that question? <laughs> I'm just trying to think about it. Because I would have I to would save be... the alligator from you, probably. <laughs> <laughs> You'd probably kill the alligator. I have to save it. <laughs> but it's so cool. It's just such a demonstration I of mean, real manliness. I'm offended. That was an example of toxic masculinity. <laughs> it should, he should have let her wrestle the alligator. Yeah, yeah she's a woman. She can handle it herself, okay? Exactly. She doesn't need a man to help her battle this alligator. Imagine if she's just like under the alligator and she's like, sir, do you not think I'm trained to handle this situation? <laughs> oh, you don't, you don't think I can do it? I can do it. I'll take this alligator off me right now. She's like, sir, get out of the enclosure. I can handle this. <laughs> Might you're looking like you're struggling a bit. Oh. Coming here to help you out. No, that's amazing. That was an amazing video. Crocodile Donnie, man. He's yeah. got a story for every barbecue that he goes to from here on out. Who let oh, this yeah. guy in? <laughs> hey, let me tell you guys a story about the gator again. Crazy, right? <laughs> he like wears the little like gator apron when he's barbecuing now. <laughs> man, this weather is crazy. Wait 15 minutes and it'll change though. All right? <laughs> We're having gator for dinner tonight, honey. <laughs> These are Kobe beef. You know? $35 a pound, Jeff. Good. Just trying to be a white dad. <laughs> yeah, I know. Again. It was pretty good. It yeah, was pretty accurate. Yeah. It was pretty accurate. Okay. What was the joke that we did about dads on our way to Vegas? We had this running joke. What was the one we were saying? Oh, yeah, that funny one that I can't remember right now. Oh, man. You guys had to be there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you guys had to be there. <laughs> it was like, it's a hot one. Dads always say that. White New Balance sneakers. I don't know. That middle class fancy. Oh, it's a... It's you know, it's hot out. It, the dry heat's hot, but it's really the humidity that'll get you. <laughs> it's the, the humidity that gets you. Yeah, That's what exactly. Oh, That's the white dad thing to say. <laughs> it's the humidity that gets you, am I right? Oh, mm -hmm. gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> that was a joke. Uh, well, that was a great joke. I'm sure he had Walking to take his me. wife Nance to a nice steak dinner at Chili's after that. <laughs> <laughs> Crocodile Dawny. You need to make a movie about him. Honestly, a feature film. It'll just be this video playing over mm -hmm. and over for an hour and a half. When women get attacked by alligators. You remember the you, you remember the guy in Florida that rescued a puppy from the alligator? That, that yes, was a viral with video the cigar still in his mouth. Yeah, oh yeah, he had a cigar the whole time. Insane. Sick. Uh, okay, see, manly men are not dead. Make men masculine again. No, make men battle alligators again. Yeah. This is like it should be like ancient Sparta, where to become a man you have to battle like a giant animal. To battle an alligator. I support it, in theory. <laughs> <laughs> um, one more segment. This is something that was trending on uh, Twitter yesterday, and I just want to get uh, the audience's opinion on this, and then we'll get Will and Taylor's as well. What is the most stressful movie you have ever seen? I have mine. You have yours? I have mine. It's definitely Saving Private Ryan. Uh, that no. The final scenes, oh yeah. The final it's scenes of that movie, movie, it is so stressful. It is so stressful when Upham's going on the stairs and they like are waiting for him to bring the ammunition and oh he refuses God. to go. That's not stressful. Yes. That's just like, I'm so mad at Upham. I yeah. Well, you don't him. know if he's going to do it or he's not. I was sitting, sitting on the edge of my couch, screaming at my television by myself in my apartment. <laughs> I don't think that movie was that stressful because I you it was somewhat very knew stressful. what was going to happen. No, you didn't. You didn't know who was going to live and who was going to die. But you knew that they were going to like win. Stressful no, like you know Vin Diesel's like gonna you die. You know Vin Diesel's gonna die. You're like, okay, whatever. I'm not, whatever. But it's like Vin Diesel. What are you talking about? He's in Saving Private Ryan. You don't remember that? Oh yeah. And he dies. Oh, okay, I was thinking like Fast and the Furious. 
I was like, there's like 30 of those, and he's still alive. But he dies in Saving Private Ryan. Like, you're like, okay, that's a, clearly a throwaway character. He's going to die. Okay, Hamla, you like, made a big deal about spoiling a 15-year-old movie like 30 minutes ago. Okay, and sorry, now guys. all of a sudden you're like well, spoiling it for both everybody. Both of you have seen it. Both of you have seen it. Yeah, you're right. No one else is watching this. <laughs> it's just us friends, Shay. What is the most stressful movie you guys have seen? People are saying Clockwork Orange. Yeah, um, Clockwork Orange is definitely that. a stressful movie. 127 yeah. Hours. Uh-huh. Um, Truman Show. Eyes Wide Shut. Another Stanley Kubrick one. I haven't seen any of those. I've seen Truman Show. Stanley Kubrick's great. Should. Do you guys have an answer for this question? I don't know. Like I like like move. I don't like scary movies in general. Mm -hmm. Like I can do suspense and thriller, but like like I am Legend and stuff like that. But that's not really like it's not edge of your seat stressful. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think because I was just. I think I was just thinking. I think. Uh, what's it called? Um, maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Really? You know one? Not the whole thing. I love that. No, I love it. The end. But scene. I'm saying the end scene where you're like, it's stressful because it gets so gory. And you're like, it no, doesn't this is stress stressful for Quentin me. Quentin Tarantino movies never stress me out because I always know how they're going to end. Yeah, He's like not surprising as a director. I'm going to be honest. People, I know you love him, Quentin Will. Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director. I know mm. you love him or whatever. But he's like, Alien's a good one. People are saying a bunch in these. Uh, Glory from 1988. Um, Blue Velvet, Boy in Striped Pajamas, Transformers. Somebody said A Quiet Place. Transformers? Yeah, that's, I don't know about that one. 1917 was no, super stressful too. That was a terrible too. movie. 1917 was, was not a good movie. Oh, yeah. Tell that to the Academy, Will. Tell that to the Academy that 1917 was a The Academy movie. is now saying... I thought 1917 was overrated, too. Yeah, totally overrated. Yeah. Are you kidding? not that good of a war A beautiful, smooth, one-shot film, and you're saying that it wasn't good? Well, see, you're having to praise it based on it being one-shot, though. If it, was, it wasn't like... What? It's, you, it's an amazing it being one piece shot of doesn't like, make it a good It's movie. an amazing no, piece of technical artistry. The character development is really good. It's good cinematography. The character development is not that good. You don't even like the characters. Yeah. Yeah, they're nothing. It's kind of like slow. And yeah, there's like nothing you special guys, about it. it. And I love Christopher Nolan, but Amelie, you've what? seen like three movies, so that's I know not this is hard for you to believe. I watch movies like all the time. The same movies. No, I don't. You rewatch Snow Dogs every single. I'm gonna make a PowerPoint of all the movies that I've seen, and we're gonna present it live on stream. <laughs> all four slides. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great. It's gonna be like ten thousand slides. <laughs> I bet. I'm sure. <laughs> I will do it. I will do it just for just for the sake that you guys don't bully me anymore. That's not, and that's never going to happen. So. <laughs> yeah, you might as well save yeah, yourself might. the time. Yeah, saving 1917 was a good movie. A Shutter Island, that was kind of creepy. Uh, that one was somewhat stressful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Life is Beautiful oh. wasn't stressful, but it was very sad. Whoever just put that in the The comments. Departed was stressful. Have you guys seen The Departed? Oh, yeah. Departed. Departed. Like the that's so good. Yeah, so good. But at the time, at the end, like first yeah. time watching The Departed, and you don't know what's going to happen, and then he gets... That was stressful for sure. Was Inception a stressful movie for you guys? Willy Wonka. <laughs> yeah, when they're on that boat okay, with all the crazy boat, lights going it's around, that's, that's stressful. That's stressful. That's when that elevator stressful. shoots off into the sky. You it's don't pretty know stressful. Happen. Yeah, it is. You've guys that's seen Inception, right? Yeah. Oh, of course. Did you think that movie was stressful? No, it was just awesome. No, You're just like just trying awesome to figure movie. it out. Yeah. 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 Fair yeah. enough. You know what's really stressful for me to watch though, but I love it is um, UFC. Like I'm a huge UFC fan, but like I catch myself like several times during every round of the fight, like tensing up. My my body just keeps like, and then I'm like, oh gosh, I'm like completely flexed my entire body right now. But I know. that's how I feel in disc golf when I'm watching disc golf. <laughs> and Paul Macbeth, he's 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 one like there was this disc golf tournament this weekend. Paul Paul Macbeth is down two strokes, but he he, he ended up losing. Anyway, it's stressful to watch. I've golf. seen most of the movies that people are putting in this chat right now, Will, and no, I'm I very didn't. offended what by did. your What's commentary. the most stressful Matt Damon movie besides Saving Private Ryan? 
What uh, are the Matt Damon movies? Okay, he's been in he's, Saving Private Ryan. He gets Ryan. rescued out of from space in every single movie. He's been so. Good, <laughs> good Will Martian. Hunting, The Martian. What else? Interstellar. Is Interstellar. Oh, what? Is, what's his like spy movie stuff? What's his? Oh, like? the Bourne. Oh, Bourne. Identity. Jesus Christ! It's Jason Bourne. Bourne. Identity. I love those movies. They're not stressful though. What yeah, else is he in? He's in a lot of other stuff. Good Will Hunting. Oh, a stressful mm-hmm. movie that he's in is. Uh, Mr. Ripley. Have you seen that movie? Oh yeah, that one's really yeah. stressful. that one's stressful. I hated it. Yeah. I hated I like the boat scene. I don't even want to. Yeah, it was kind of gross. It was gross. Yeah, that movie is stressful. That's a very stressful movie. Yeah, that was actually. <laughs> so we bought a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved that movie. I love that movie too. I love a good Matt Damon movie. People hate on Matt Damon, but I like Matt Damon a lot. When I was a kid, my mom would get mad at me because I thought Matt Damon and Mark, Mark Wahlberg were the same person. <laughs> I, I literally, I just yeah, had a conversation with my friend about this the other day. I was like, I cannot, sometimes I can't tell them apart. When I was like a kid, I couldn't either. He's like, they don't look the same at all. Someone I said, thought they looked the same. I thought they, they, they looked the same. I think they look very similar. Yeah. They do look very so, similar. Someone said the Great Wall is stressful to watch just because it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's stressful I to watch with how bad it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know any other stressful movies you guys can think of. Um, if not, I don't know. our show's We've over. We've kind of been talking about this for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's know, the that's last segment it. of the day. Yeah, so. that's about it. <laughs> well, what are, I mean, we, I'm tired of this, but we had the Megan Rapinoe story on there. Oh. But You guys want to talk about it? No, well, we'll we can just it. say it in a rapid fire. Rapid fire. Hope Solo, fire. legendary goalie, right, yep, of here's the article. Women's national team, says that Megan Rapinoe would almost bully teammates into kneeling during the national anthem. So, Is that surprising but, at all? No. And that's why- This is one of those stories where we're like, uh, this is kind of like a dunk, classic talking point type story that we're like, it's eye roll, it's annoying, we want to call it out, but it's also like- Right. Ugh. It's like, you know, people are going to make the, the same comments about uh, the purple haired leftist or whatever in regard to Megan Rapinoe, but it's this is not surprising at all. I don't even know why we're reporting on it. That's no, what the left does. you got to call it out. I guess you know. so, but that's what a typical leftist does, is that they shame people into agreeing with them, and then they call them bad names and, and say that they're not fighting the, the good fight if they don't do exactly what you want them to do. Yeah, but we want, you know, we want to show some sort of accountability for me. Yeah, yeah and then also, like, when the um, loud but, quote, you know, loud but small minority of mm-hmm. woke, aggressive people try to bully you into doing things that you don't believe in, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Stand up to them. Don't mm-hmm. let anybody bully you don't let anybody dye your hair pink <laughs> you're gonna be okay everybody's gonna be okay we're all gonna be okay that's our hopeful message to end the stream today yeah honey the kids are all right honey i shrunk the kids <laughs> i think will's uh, credibility on being able to criticize people's uh way they present themselves <laughs> is out the window until he shaves the mustache <laughs> I feel like, like Brad there's Pitt so many comments person. about the mustache. It's dude. never ending. You've had it for so long now, yet people still comment. I know. I watched a video the other day of myself, mm-hmm. uh, and I had my clean shaven face. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even recognize myself. Wow. I was like, I was so ugly. Back You're like, then. who is that young man? <laughs> now I'm just so my dashing. testosterone levels were like 20% low. I know. Seriously, <laughs> I'm just such a man. Ubermensch. Ubermensch. You can't be one without a mustache. I feel like Brad Pitt and Glorious Bastards. You look like Joseph Stalin. Thank you. <laughs> we have one more super chat. I'll go ahead okay. and read it. Right, uh, Michael Riley, I've been bending steel since I was 13. What makes you think I can't bend you? Interesting. I am one man in California. I'm 28. I've been shot at and stabbed at being a simple labor. I don't know what this, well, I don't know what this message really means, but <laughs> thank you, Michael Riley. I've been Riley. bending steel since I was 13. 
What makes you think I can't bend you? It's very, uh, I'm, I, this is the most stressful movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Speaking of stressful. Yeah. I don't want to be bent like steel. <laughs> Thanks the load the I carry is greater than the collective. It seems like it's trying to make a point about Maybe what we were talking is, about before. Yeah, with but the it's kind of thing. I think it's an individualism thing. But yeah. anyways, guys, be your own individual. Everything's going to be okay. Be strong enough to bend steel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the kids are all right. Eat a so. lot of protein. Bend steel, <laughs> guys. Please like, subscribe, click the notification bell if you love this stream. And if you'd like to get a text notifying you when we go live, text live. Will, your head is in oh, my sorry. I was trying to read. I was trying to see what people are saying. 2417-76 to get a text notification sent to your phone when our beautiful faces are on the internet. If you don't want to see our beautiful faces on the internet, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Please leave us a five-star review if you like what we say. If you don't like what we say, please leave us a five-star review. Anyways, thank you guys so much for watching. Amala, real quick, Super Chat says, Amala, is your tattoo Haku? I'm paying to have this question answered. It is Haku from Spirited Away. Haku. A, a sort of stressful movie if you're five years old. I don't know what that is, but Spirited Away. It's a cool great movie. We'll get together and watch it one of these days. After Lord of the Rings extended, all three. After right. L-O-T-R. <laughs> Bye, guys. Guess, all right, guys. I guess that concludes negotiations. <laughs> they were short. Okay, bye. I'm over it. <laughs>